If you weren't here last week, I'm going to encourage you to get this book. If you didn't get it yet, there's only four copies left um, of a, this book called Safe and Sound by Paul Anderson Walsh. Uh, he wrote this a long time ago uh, through another book called Until Christ is Formed. Um, that was a little more difficult to read. This is more expanded and much better. Um, I find this much easier to read and far more explanation. Um, and what I'm covering today is found in this book. Uh, of course, you get it through my lens. <laughs> and uh, that's just the gift of, of what you get today. Uh, but we're studying 1 Corinthians 13. And I'm going to look at just a, a like two-minute summary from last week for those that are new here this morning, because I want you to capture this. Love is the critical, critical message of the cross. Okay? That's why God came through Jesus, because he loves us. And if we don't know that, we're going to try and find love in other places. Um, Let's begin with this. First of all, you need to be reminded that God is love. He doesn't have it. He actually is. That is the DNA, the essence of who God really is. Love. And the word there is agape. The Bible uses four words for the word love. The translate English only has one word, love. But the Greeks, when they wrote their, uh, in the New Testament, there's four words. Storge, which is parental love. Phileo, which is a friendship love. Eros is erotic. The word erotic comes from. And then agape. Agape is the word used in this text in 1 Corinthians. Sometimes in weddings we're told, you know, we've got to read this text, love is patient, love is kind, and all this stuff, and it becomes that you need to do this. It becomes the duty of couples. I'm here to tell you that is incorrect, and I want to correct it today by saying it's not your duty and to-do list as married couples, it's your get-to list. You get to let the Holy Spirit in you exhibit that love and the fruit of that love in you. He's going to do it. You're not in charge of the process. You're in charge of hearing and obeying. When the Holy Spirit gives you an insight, you follow through on it. When He gives you the words to say, be quiet, then be quiet. When to speak, then speak. He is the initiator of all things. God is love. And so when we read uh, Love is Patient, Kind, and all these things, we started to go through the list of defining what these different words are. Last week we covered the patience of God, that is kindness, and what envy was. Uh, That was quite surprising. Today I'm going to try and rip through all that. Okay, We can do it. But there's some things in here that are really profound. I hope I can remember to get all these good things to you. But what it will do, it will make this section come alive. It will also help you understand... The profound love of God. All of this, even though it's going down, it's actually moving to a pinnacle. There's a reason it ends with love never fails. And hopefully I can, we'll get to it, even if I go slightly over time, and normally I don't. Let's begin. Agape. The word agape can not and does not boast. Why is that important? Because... Agape is others-centered. That's what the word agape literally means. Others-centered. That is the essence of agape, of God. He's never self-centered. So here in the boasting, the boasting has to do with self-glorification. I did this. I'm wonderful. That's the boasting. And that is the exact opposite of agape. That's more eros than anything else. Boasting lies at the heart of eros because it says, look at me. But agape is for others. A healthy and proper self-image comes into play here. It's not thinking less of yourself. Listen to this. It's not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. 
There's a difference. Huge difference. Because once you know your identity, once you know who you are in Christ, that you are loved, you are fully forgiven, completely clean and pure. When these truths permeate your heart, oh my goodness, you become not self-centered, but agape begins to flow from you. Most people have an identity crisis. Not a, usually they go find books on self-help and how to have a better self-image. Well, who's the real self? Who is you? Do you even know? <laughs> Once you know you're already complete and right, then you get to move on towards proper healing. Agape is a, is a turning away from self. Uh, it is a, uh, uh, it's not self-depreciation, but an appreciation of others. It's not putting down of self so much as lifting up of others. This is what the Holy Spirit does to you. He's lifting you up, constantly encouraging you. And we're not always tuned to believe that or hear it, especially when the voices of encouragement come. It enables us to concentrate on being interested and not being interesting. I like that. A lot of people are focused on how people see them. They're worried about what other people think of them. They want to be liked. Uh, that's kind of my flesh pattern. I want to be liked. And sometimes you try too hard and it backfires and they don't like you anymore because that dumb thing you just did. <laughs> it's weird. But here we're saying being interested and not being interesting. And that's what the Holy Spirit is. Interested in you. To see you grow mature. To become fully formed into Christ. To be impressed, not be impressive. See where the attention is. The attention is on others, not on self. Next, agape is not proud. And today the word pride is employed as a very confident, positive thing. You know, this pride days for all kinds of subjects and other things that people want to do and say and believe and they call it pride. But every time in Scripture, when it comes to this subject, it's the exact opposite. It's not what we're called to. We're not called to pride, self-pride. There's different being proud of your kid. That's, that's a different context here. It's not what this means. The pride has to do with self-preservation pride. Um, what did I write on here? Pride says, I don't need your help. So you can start to see the attitude. Pride says, I don't need anything or anyone because I can make it on my own. Do you hear the pride? Pride is a refusal to be vulnerable. This one's tough. Okay, this is probably one of the toughest. Becoming vulnerable. The only way you can become vulnerable is when you drop your guard. And dropping the guard, unfortunately, many of us have been hurt over and over and over by people we trust. So this becomes really, really hard. Nevertheless, it is a journey we must take. We must take risks. You will get hurt again. People do it so they don't get hurt again. You're not that good at protecting yourself. The Holy Spirit is. And when you are hurt, He's there to heal. He does it. Next, pride is a refusal to accept that we need help. Pride believes that needing help makes us look weak. Woohoohoo. This is a tough one. I know a lot of proud Christians who say, I'm strong. Yes, I'm getting stronger, stronger. Well, actually, we're called to become weaker and weaker. The only strength that we're supposed to draw from is our strength in the Lord. Become strong in the Lord, not in self. Huge difference. Do you see the difference? Okay. Pride says, I have no needs of God. Because you're self-sufficient. You don't need anybody. Proud people. 
And guess what happens? And we've seen this in this world over and over and over again. And I've talked to people in my office over and over and over again. When crisis hits, when a devastating blow hits, we become prideless and need help. We go get help. And some people are so thick-headed that they have to come to an unbelievable place of brokenness before they'll seek help. Please, don't be stubborn. You can save yourself a lot of pain by saying, okay, I need some help before it's too late. Before I wreck more lives on this side of heaven. Pride says, I have no need of you. This is brutal. It says... Oh, sorry, in, in, when it comes to pride, eros, which is the other word for love, says, I love you because I need you, where agape says, I need you because I love you. This is huge. It's a different way. Eros is a taking love, self-seeking love. Agape is other-centered. That's the difference. This is huge. Next, agape, oops, Agape is not rude. Agape is not rude. That's weird. What does that mean? I'm going to show you a verse from 2 Corinthians. Uh, oops, is it there? Yeah, 2 Corinthians 11, verse 6. King James Version. But, I, but though I may be rude in speech, yet not in knowledge, we have been thoroughly made manifest among you in all things. Isn't that a wonderful verse? Like we know the deep meaning of it already. So easy to understand. Let's move to another translation. I may be unskilled as a speaker, but I'm not lacking in knowledge. We have made this clear to you in every possible way. Unskilled, rude, same meaning. We're not talking about the, the absolute vulgar rude, although it implies that's part of it too. It's deeper. There's this unskilled idea. The Vines Expository Dictionary, referring to the word ignorant, says agape is not ignorant. To be ignorant is to have want of knowledge. It's not rude. It's not unskilled. God is fully skilled. A love is fully skilled to speak to your language, to your need, to your heart. There is no lack. God knows how to get through. He knows how to get your attention. Does He not? He does. And you can plug your ears as tight as you want. It's not going to stop His love from penetrating your heart and mind. You can't help it. You are held together by agape. Did you know that? Christ holds all things together. You're held together by love. You can't escape it. We'll cover that again later. I'm jumping ahead. Oh my goodness. Another helpful word for rude is coarse, meaning rough, unpolished, or incomplete. Rough, unpolished, or incomplete. Love is not rude. If what's coming out of your mouth and actions is unpolished, rough, and incomplete, not resembling agape, then you know that fruit did not come from the real you. It came from the power of indwelling sin, which is the battle in our mind. It's not you, not the source. Agape is the source. Anything that comes out of you that is pure love, agape, that is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. He's at work in you. I see them back there in the back section all the time with all the kids. All the parents gooey and gawing and bleh, all over the shoulder and big mess. Parents still loving. Everybody else looking going, oh. But the parents are still loving because that's what agape does. Loving their kid despite the behaviors, despite the oopses. This will lead to intimacy. 
When you can believe God is not rude, is not ignorant, this will lead to intimacy. And I love what Paul Anderson Walsh wrote about intimacy. Catch this. He's like the best wordsmith I've ever heard. It means into me, see? Intimacy. Into me, see, where you allow someone to see deep into you. When that happens two ways, the connection begins. And if God wants this connection with us, and listen to this, he has created you and I for the exact same connection relationally. Into me, see. And some of us are so hurt, we got different walls up. We don't even know there are walls up. And sometimes need outside help to break through some of those walls. So that the ones we're most closely connected to can see into us and still love us as the garbage comes out and then the real us, the real love comes out. It's a journey. A journey of healing. Agape is not self-seeking. The word seek means to make a search for, to inquire, to try, to want, to get, to ask for a request. At another level, it means to single out for companionship. It can only search for, inquire, try, want, get, ask, request, single out for companionship of others. It's seeking you for relationship. You've been created for relationship in the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. The perfect trinity. And in that circle, the circle dance, the perichoresis of the trinity of God is love because the fire of God is love and you have been included in that love. He's designed you for relationship. This whole verse is about relationship. This is what happens in the Trinity. He wants it to be expressed through you and me. And when it comes out, oh my goodness, become very attractive. Oh, this one's tough. <laughs> Agape is unprovocable. And I will refer to the book because he does, there's so much in this section on unprovocable that you need to read more of it. So I'm going to put you on to your own journey. Can you, I'm sure it's on Kindle. Get on Kindle if you want. I hope it is. But uh, some dictionaries define this word as provoc- provocation as something which arouses a strong response from another. But it says God cannot be provoked. NIV says agape is not easily angered. Agape is not irritable or resentful. Agape is not irritable or resentful. Agape is not easily provoked. Agape is not provoked. These are multiple translations seeing it differently. Some of these guys try to soften it. (laughs) When we become irritable, we can be provoked. Have you ever been with somebody irritable? Don't answer too quickly and no hands. Okay? Like, we clearly, even ourselves, once in a while I'm irritable, you know. I'm, I'm getting the glare. But what happens is, God is not irritable like that. He can't be set off, sparked by somebody else's, an outside provocation, where inside he's already fully stable, fully knowing himself, how he responds. He's created himself, or he is, he wasn't created himself, I said that wrong. He himself is, in his essence, not prodable as far as in the negative. Okay? Now, in the book, it talks about, well, what, what about in the Old Testament when he's provoked and, and all that? And he does a really good job of explaining that. And I haven't got time because there's too many subjects, but there is an answer. There is one. Next. While we were yet sinners, Christ died, has died for both for and to our sin. This is huge. This is why he's unprovocable. 
You've got to understand the why in this. The why helps us understand and believe. So here we go. Romans 8.1. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. He who created the ungodly died for them, and having died for them, rose for them and reconciled them. This is the fruit of it. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. If it were possible to provoke God, then the only recourse that he would have would be to crucify his son again. Do you get that? He's paid for it. So sin's not going to provoke him. He's forgiven it. What it does, it does grieve his heart. And Paul covers that in his book too. There's a grieving of the, of the heart of God when we sin because it's not us he's grieved over. It's he sees the pain we're going to be walking through and the consequences of sin. There are consequences to our sinful choices. Sure, it's paid for. Does that mean we can go sin and do as much as we want until we have more grace? <laughs> no! Paul says, I believe in the Greek, says, you bonehead. No, don't do that. You can't. That is the exact opposite. Grace compels you to live a godly life. Not ungodly. That's true grace. So anybody that uses grace as a license to say, well, because I'm forgiven, I can go ahead and do what I want. I can have an affair. I can do blah, 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 all this stuff. No. That's not Christ in you. That's not the fruit of agape. That is complete eros. Self-seeking. So, who is this God you say you believe in? Do you know? That's why I'm covering this. I want you to know his love. But God isn't provoked to anger by sin. No, he dealt with sin and sins before the foundation of time. It didn't surprise him. I can't believe you did that. Never saw that coming. You know, he saw this. He knows you. He knows how he wired you. He created you. He knows you intimately. And he loves you. And he accepts you. He wants you to be overwhelmed by his love so that you respond to him with the love he's given you. Not respond with sin. Respond with the love he's given you and put in you. But you got to believe it. Let's take a look at this. Love keeps no record of wrongs. One man was talking to another, and he says, when my wife and I argue, she gets historical. His friend replied, surely you mean hysterical. He says, no, his friend assured him. She gets historical. Remembering back, bringing everything from the past back up. God does not do that. Oh, wait a minute, that's guys and girls. Both do that, okay? Just, just the way the illustration was. Relax, chill. <laughs> if that is true, that God does not get historical with us. Oh, wait a minute. He does get historical. Do you know how he gets historical with us? He says, fully paid. That's your history. All your sins are paid for. Past, present, and future. Covered, put away. Whatever terminology you want to use, they're gone. And when you do sin, they are being cleansed continually as it is. It's all taken care of. So the more you realize this, the more you're going to recognize, why am I even doing this? Well, if it's all covered, what motivates me to want to live a godly life anyway then? The love of Christ compels us. It's the kindness that leads us to repentance. God's kindness and gentleness. Not the harsh wrath Bible thumpers. It doesn't lead anybody except through fear. When people respond to God in that kind of, oh, you're going to burn in hell if you don't believe what I'm telling you. Okay, I'll say a prayer. Does that get, am I in? Okay. Right, you know, that's all short-lived. When you begin faith from fear, 
listen. If you begin your faith from fear, it leads to more fear, more fear, more fear. And you do not see the heart of God who is love. He's declaring to you, he has done everything to make you right. And he's going to keep you right. Some people say, well, he did it for me at the cross, but I've got to maintain this. No, you don't. You get to live in response to what he has done for the rest of your life. And thank him for it. I wonder if many of us don't realize this yet. Because the fruit of that, that thankfulness, leads to unbelievable love for one another. We have growth in this area to see, in all of us. It keeps no record of wrong. Hebrews uh, 8.12 in the New Living Translation. Do I have it up here? I do. And I will forgive their wickedness, and I will never again remember their sins. Funny, this word remember. If my arm gets torn off, it's what? What's the term for it? It is now dismembered. But if it's attached again, it's remembered. He will not remember their sins. He will not put them on you ever again. Paid for. It's done. Next, Isaiah 43, 25. I, even I, am the one who wipes out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. In Hebrews 10, 17, he says, then he says, I will never again remember their sins and lawless deeds. How many times do you have to see this? If once is written in there, then it's true. You got three times. Okay, locked in. Got it. It's forgiven. Your sins will not be remembered by him. Ever. And when you were dead in trespasses in the uncircumcision of your flesh, listen carefully, stop there. This, this break is critical. When did all this happen? But he's about to tell you, when did this happen? When you were dead in your trespasses, when you were dead in your sin, in your mind, you were totally oblivious to the idea you needed God. No clue you needed Him. When you're in that place, He did this. God made you alive together with him. When he forgave us all of our trespasses, erasing the record that stood against us with its legal demands, he set this aside, nailing it to the cross. That's where it is. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and made a public example of them by triumphing over them in it. This is good news. And it should be good news for some of you this morning who are doubting your forgiveness, which was my big Achilles heel until 15 years ago. And once in a while, you, not so much in the last number of years, but in the beginning time of learning identity and grace, I knew it was true, but then I got haunted with voices saying, Nah, you're sure, but now it's so confirmed in me, I cannot unbelieve this. You are clean, you are forgiven. Agape thinks no evil. The word think literally means to reckon on or account. To take into account. Thinks no evil. The word no is no evil. None. Not even a capacity. He thinks nothing like that. Here's how Paul Anderson Walsh described it. I'm going to go quick. Agape, love, Reckons, counts, attributes, infers, judges in ways contrary to our expectation. Absolutely no evil whatsoever, be it an evil nature, error, thought, feeling, or even any action or behavior, be it base, wrong, wicked, troublesome, injurious, pernicious, pernicious, destructive, or baneful. Agape reckons it not. It does not have the capacity to. 
for he is pure love. Some people think God created wickedness. He's the source behind it. No, he's not. There's a lot to study on this front, but this is making it very clear that agape thinks no evil. There's no, well, for that person, I got an extra little plan. (laughs) Wrong movie, folks. Love. God's love rejoices in truth. The definition of rejoice is this. Exalts, rejoices, triumphs, expresses great joy, glories in it, is jubilant, feels happiness or joy, walks on air, woo, on a cloud nine, jumps for joy, ecstatic, wallows. This is the statement that he rejoices in truth. And I'm going to clarify something very clear to you. He rejoices in you. Do you know why? Because truth lives in you. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So if the truth is in you, agape rejoices over you and in you. And when you rejoice, it's an expression of the love and agape in you. You've got to know that. Here's some examples. Oh yeah, to rejoice means to rejoice with, take part in another's joy, to rejoice together, to congratulate, all that. There's a story in the New Testament, um, Luke 15, 25 to 20, it says, Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. When he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house. And he asked one of his servants what was going on. Your brother's back, he was told. And your father's killed the fattened calf. We're celebrating because of his safe return. As if the brother would be impressed. The older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. He heard this news. But the father who believes in truth, this is about the love of God in this story. It's not even about forgiveness. It's about the love of God. It was the father rejoicing and having a party. It's okay to party. It's okay to rejoice. This is how agape rejoices in truth. Another story. David and all the people of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouts of joy and the blowing of ram's horns. But as the ark of the Lord entered the city of David, Michael, the daughter of Saul, looked down from her window when she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord. She was filled with contempt for him. And when she confronted David and said, How do you do that in front of those servant girls? What do they think of you? And David said, Ha! I am willing to look even more foolish than this. I'm dancing before the Lord. God knew the truth of David's heart. And it, it was received with joy. And God rejoices. Next story. Oh, that's not a story. It's a verse, a wake-up truth. Zephaniah 3, 16-19 says this. On that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Do not fear. O Zion, do not let your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst. A warrior who gives victory. That's important. He gives you victory, okay? He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will renew you in His love. Oh, there's a big one. Maybe that should be your prayer. 
To be renewed in His love. To be reminded of His love. Maybe you're just dealing with sucking your thumb and and all the wounds that you've got going on and the hurts and the unforgiveness of whatever's going on because this is safe just just to say, leave me alone, leave me alone. I'm not letting anybody get close. Maybe He needs to renew your mind in this. In His love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. As on the day of festival, I will remove disaster from you so that you will not bear reproach for it. I will deal with all of your oppressors at that time. And I will save the lame and gather the outcast. And I will change their shame into praise and renown in all the earth. Renown in all the earth. Folks, this is the fruit of agape. The Lord is shouting over you, dancing over you with joy. I know it sounds like a weird picture. And there's some really weird expressions in our culture, even our church culture, of this, the dancing expressions. It could be culture, it could be what, I don't know. But your Heavenly Father is rejoicing over you. He's not ashamed of you. You may feel ashamed, but He is not. Shame speaks to your identity. Guilt speaks to behavior. I am guilty, says I've done something wrong. I am shameful, I am shameful, speaks to me. No, you're not. You've been created good. You've been cleaned already. Walk in it, believe it, discover what that cleanliness means. Agape bears all things. In short, puts up with all of our nonsense. It's true. There's a much deeper truth here. The Greek equivalent word for the verb bear is stego, which literally means thatch or cover. The idea conveyed is that stego seeks to protect or preserve an object by covering and shielding it from harm, protecting it from anything that threatens it. Picture of the ark. No in the ark. It was thatched, it was protected. Bears all things, he's your protector, protecting you from, yeah, well, he's not doing a good job. People are thinking that. He is doing a great job. Listen. Listen to what he's trying to tell you. And begin to believe. And your vision will change. Your eyes of looking at your circumstances as, this is not good protection. It'll change to, wow, I never saw how he was going to use this. I didn't know I needed that much healing. He bears all things. He believes all things. The Apostle Paul is starting to hit the crescendo. It does not mean that agape is gullible or that we can pull the wool over its eyes. It doesn't mean that at all. On the contrary, the absurdity of agape is found in the realization that the one who knows us best loves us best. Believe literally means to credit, to have confidence, or entrust oneself to another. Who could possibly entrust himself to us if he's not confident in himself? God. We don't entrust ourselves to one another because we're not confident in ourselves. You know, the Bible says to submit to one another. Some people use the next couple of verses, one, and I think it's in Philippians, it's mistranslated. You know, wives, submit to your husbands. 
Hang on, back up, go back and rediscover what those Greek words are. There's some words that are not there that are in, are in our English translation. Instead, it's referring back to submit to one another. Mutual submission. Do you know what happens when two people submit to one another fully? Is there fear? No. It's a crazy trust. That takes time to get there. We're called to submit to one another. When I do weddings, I always encourage couples, say, guys, the only competition that should happen in your marriage is who can outserve the other. That's it. Called to serve one another from the love of Christ. Otherwise, we try to serve to manipulate. If it's not agape, it's eros. Agape endures all things. The definition means to remain, to tarry behind, to remain, to abide, not recede or flee, to preserve under misfortunes, trials, to hold fast to one's faith in Christ, to endure, bear bravely and calmly. Agape endures all things as nothing can separate the loved one from the lover. Is this good love? This is crazy love. Does love win? Stinking right it does. You betcha. Love, agape, the real agape wins. I believe that. Listen to this. Jesus said, I will never forsake you. In our modern translations, we take the word never and say, only if I'm really good. No. He said, I will never, ever, ever forsake you, abandon you. Because he bears all things. This God you say you believe in is better than you think. Maybe much better than you possibly could comprehend. Wait a minute. There's more to learn about him? (laughs) Oh yeah. Listen to this. Confirmation verse, Romans 8.38 And I am convinced that nothing, nothing, nothing can ever, 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 ever separate us from what? God's love. Agape. That's agape. Neither death nor life. Neither angels nor demons. Neither our fears for today, which there are many today, nor our worries about tomorrow, and I know we all have worries for tomorrow. Even the powers of hell can't separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below indeed. Nothing. There's that word again. Nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus. His love is holding everything together, but it's revealed in Christ. And when that revelation comes, believe so you can experience this. His love's big. His love never fails. His love never fails. By the way, when it says endures all things, you know, the all, all, did you hear all the alls? Think about that. What is all? He bears all things, believes all things, 
It's always hopeful. All is a lot. Individually can mean every, each, any, all, the whole, everyone, all things, everything. Collectively can mean some types and groups. But here it means everything. Love never fails. This is the summit. This is the pinnacle. He's gone up this ladder of all these things that God's agape is. He's going, I'm at the top. Look at that. Holy smokes, look how far I can see. It never fails. There is no end to his love. It does not run out. Seeing through the eyes of faith and saying agape never fails, this statement assures our victory and is the guarantee we will triumph. Through all the stuff you're walking through, you will triumph because the love of Christ holds you together, walks with you, believes you, is excited about you and for you and wants himself to come out. Christ in you and he wants out. This is the good news. God's divine grace never fails for any reason whatsoever. It says in this text in 1 Corinthians, prophecies shall fail, tongues shall cease, knowledge shall vanish. Oh, and yet, what are some things that people are pursuing? All of those. They're pursuing these gifts when they forget the real gift. I may have the wisdom of the world and have faith to make a mountain move, but have not love. I'm useless. And then it says love never fails. Can never ever fall into the ground powerless. Can never end. Is perpetual, is eternal, is always active, is undiminished, is unconditional, is fixed, and can never be separated from you. This is the agape of your Heavenly Father who's crazy about you. Is this good news? May the Holy Spirit speak to your heart. What is it you needed to hear today? What part weren't you getting? You may have to go back and rewatch this online. Fine. Or better yet, get the book. It'll, this is a phenomenal book. This is just a short Coles Notes version. There's so much more to learn, folks. So much more to explore and grow in. Will you please bow your heads in order to pray with me? Heavenly Father, grow us in your love. First of all, to believe it and to listen to your voice of how you want to express it through us. And wherever we are on the journey, you are there with us, holding us together, being our faith for us when we feel weak. And you will never fail us, never abandon us. Father, I trust you. I trust you with my life, my family's life, this church's life, our country's life, and what's going on in this world. So I can always look and view at this world with hope. Thank you, Father. Amen.